we've just hit on is the really important part. It's the awareness. So the graph and maybe asking students to put their dot on the graph for where they are right now helps them understand this is where I am right now, but also conceive of the idea that that is shifting and changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So if I notice, for instance, that my energy is low, but it's really comfortable, I just feel really mellow, then the invitation to the students can be, how about savor that? How about really enjoy that? If you're going to start with class with a free right. write, for instance, how about enjoy in your free write how good it feels to feel like you do right now? Or translate that into a poem. Yeah. Um, however, if I notice that my energy is really low and it's really uncomfortable, like I'm so tired, then right. I get to be curious, have the awareness, and now I can be curious about it. What has caused this condition for me? Why am I so tired right now? Yeah. And, yeah. and what do I have control over? Can I get more sleep tonight? Uh, do I need a nap this afternoon? Uh, did I eat a whole bunch of sugar and I'm having a sugar crash? Yeah. That awareness and the curiosity about the awareness puts students in a place of power to shift the things within their control. That's fantastic. It's giant. It's so simple. And yeah. It's so important. Hello and welcome back to MacTown Heroes, a podcast about small town people doing big time things from the hallways of McMinnville High School in the ever enchanting, but for now slightly drizzly, McMinnville, Oregon. I'm your host, Matt Brisbane, coming at you from room A202 on the Adams campus of Mac High. Today's guest is our yoga instructor, Angela Newport, whose only regret in life is having no understanding of what regret actually feels like. As you'll soon hear, Mrs. Newport has played so many different roles in her career here at MHS that it's clear that she isn't hesitant to take on new and exciting opportunities, like creating a yoga program at her high school before it even became a consideration at most other schools. During today's episode, you'll hear the story of how that program came to be and why Angela believes it is such an important opportunity for our students to take advantage of. You'll also hear about how you can take the work she's doing with students right now and use it right away in your own classroom, as well as her thoughts about what it means to teach in a small community like ours. So sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is the ever-radiant and always flexible Angela Newport, <laughs> who is our yoga teacher here at the mm. high school. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Um, can we just start out by having you talk a little bit about your teaching background? What do you teach and how long have you been teaching and all of those things? Sure. Yes, I've been teaching. I'm not so great with the math, but I think <clears throat> it's 21 or 22 two years, all here at McMinnville High School. Yeah. Um, I was hired way back in 1997 to teach language arts and theater. So I did that for a couple of years and then got recruited to develop a speech class and the speech team, so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I got really excited about being a part of our associated student body. Yeah, yeah. Got to teach that with Kelly Kennedy for a couple of years. Um, in there someplace I had a baby <laughs> and so my schedule changed a little. Um, I eventually got to teach language arts and be a coach and a mentor for new staff. And then Mr. Vicknera knocked on my door about six years ago and said, hey, you want to teach some yoga? And I said, sure. And so that's become a big part of my schedule. It's my full-time gig right now, actually. That's awesome. It is. So you have had many hats mm -hmm. over the years between English teacher and uh, speech coach 
and instructional coach mm -hmm. and leadership teacher and yoga teacher. Did mm -hmm. I miss anything? Um, oh, I got to d direct a couple musicals as well. And play director. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. wow. So, uh, which of those gigs over the 22 years you've been teaching has been the most impactful for you as a teacher? Mm, that's a hard question, man. I think partly because the, the thing that they tell us about teaching is that in order to be a strong teacher, we need to always be students. And so I think that all of these experiences, the different ways that I've gotten to know myself as a teacher and the different ways I've gotten to know the subject matter that I was teaching, all the different age groups that I've gotten to work with, sure. and all of the kind of eras of students that have come through in 20 yeah. years. Um, I, can't, I can't say that there's one that has been more instructive than the other. But I can tell you that teaching yoga, there's a different kind of awareness that I have with my students. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't get to see their essays, for instance. I don't mm -hmm. get to necessarily have uh, huge conversations in class because we're here to practice the yoga and, and talk about the internal experience of mindfulness. Yeah. But they communicate so much from their mats that um, it's a different kind of awareness of humans that happens in a yoga classroom. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So that actually segues into my next question, which was, you know, I, I don't hear of too many high schools with a yoga class. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, this is the only one I've ever heard of. <laughs> so uh, can you just talk a little bit about how that vision came to be and um, maybe make a little pitch right here mm -hmm. for the world about why it's such a valuable thing to have in a high school? You bet. I, I think that, I guess I have to start the story with where I started Definitely. learning and practicing yoga. Um, I would say it was at, in Oregon, at Oregon State. I studied theater there, and one of my theater professors would start every class with a mindfulness practice. He didn't call it that. It was warm-up exercises for theater, and he would actually have us lie down on the floor and relax our bodies, kind of body scan styles, think about your feet. Bring yeah, your, yeah. Uh, he would have us engage in some breathing and then sometimes some guided imagery, mm -hmm. and that's how we would start class. Wow, we all loved that class so much, and actually we're able to tune into ourselves as humans and then as the characters we were playing so efficiently. So that little seed was planted, and then uh, when I started teaching, uh, some of the teachers here on campus at McMinnville High invited mm -hmm. a yoga teacher in to teach us in the afternoons. So it was just staff in the library, okay. you know, for a few weeks at a time. Sure. That was uh, Sherry Broderick, and that was my first, like, formal yoga. And from there, I was hooked, partly because I, I like to work out individually, as opposed to, yeah. like, a, um, with my friends at the gym kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also because there's just this afterglow after a yoga practice that's pretty fabulous. So I continued my practice, and then we had a grant, an after-school grant, at our school, I want to say around 2006, and Judy Dickey was coordinating the, the grant at the time, and she kind of put an all call out to staff. If you have a passion that you think kids would be excited about, come offer it as an after-school opportunity. Okay. So I did. Uh, thank you, Judy Dickey, wherever yeah. you are. She passed away a few years ago, but. Shout out to Judy Dickey. No kidding, she made a, an impact in my life for sure. Yeah. So we did that for several years, and you know the students would come. We would have uh, 15 or 20 students twice a week practicing yoga, and many of them would catch me later in the community and talk about how that helped them 
get through the stress of senior year or um, a couple of students were parenting at the time and found that that was really powerful for them too. Mm. So when the opportunity came, it was kind of a convergence of many things. Um, it was Tony Vigner's vision of recognizing we need electives, we need non-cardio and contact athletic yeah. electives. Angela, I know you do this kind of on the side. Would you be willing to? Yes, of course, and initially it was maybe just meant to be one class period, but kids were interested in yeah, yoga, so right. it grew to be two or three class periods those first couple of years. Now, when I first started teaching at the high school, uh, there were students, I would bring a little bit of yoga practice stretch before we write this essay, let's take a couple breaths, I see you guys are kind of whew, scattered right now. Sure. Um, a couple parents in our community asked that their students be removed from my class because I was integrating a little bit of stretching and breathing. Okay. Contrast that with, you know, 15 years later, this becomes a class that uh, so many students participate in. Yeah. So I guess your, your question was, um, does it happen elsewhere and could we make a pitch for it? I think more and more yoga is becoming an elective, yeah. um, partly for the physical benefits, partly because yoga is great for everybody mm -hmm. like everybody can practice yoga in some way and the awareness that we're having in education more about how a student shows up emotionally impacts their ability to learn and yoga and mindfulness meet the student where they are and equip them with some some tools for self-awareness and also for dealing with stress yeah so there's this wonderful magical I don't want to say magical at all there's this wonderful science-based uh, alchemy that's happening that really legitimizes the need for and the possibilities for yoga yeah. in a high school setting. That's awesome. So students are getting a PE credit. Yep. Um, but it seems like there is so much more than just the, the physical yoga happening in the classroom as mm -hmm. well. And I think most of us who think of yoga can kind of picture what that looks like. But um, can you talk about how you integrate the mindfulness piece as well and how that carries out and how you encourage your students to use mindfulness in their own lives? You bet. Um, you know, when we first started using or teaching the yoga class on campus, it was really meant to be an elective or a PE credit. Mm -hmm. um, and initially when I was teaching the class, it was really very much about the physical aspect of yoga let's get more flexible let's be stronger let's grow your focus and your endurance um, let's measure how much uh, flexibility you've gained in your hamstrings yeah. how long can you hold a plank it was very much about the physical but the conversations that we would get into as a class when I would say what are you feeling in your body what are you noticing as the outcomes of your yoga practice really naturally led themselves to a discussion of what's happening internally what do I notice about myself so it was actually through another student talking at a family dinner about what he was getting from the yoga practice as an, a swimming athlete and also as a, kind of a, a high caliber student. Mm -hmm. He was saying yoga was supporting him. A person at that family dinner was a counselor at David Douglas and that counselor wanted to get a yoga program happening at their school. Talking through with that teacher who was tagged with that responsibility uh, we acknowledged that we needed some training in this emotional part sure. that students were talking about. And we connected with Mindful Schools, which is um, a nonprofit out of California okay. that offers secular instruction in mindfulness practices that's very scientifically based in sure. neuroscience and positive psychology. 
So I'm really grateful for that tool mat because I know from my own experience what I gained from yoga, but I didn't know how to break it down or help students step through talking about and experiencing what's happening for them when they use the tool like anchoring in your breath to notice sure. what your breath is telling you or uh-huh. checking in with your body to understand energy. So um, the yoga gave us an opportunity to have a space to then talk about what was happening with the mindfulness and over the course of the last 10 years this uh, focus on how mindfulness can be beneficial for students has really gotten a lot more conversation and attention and research not just in my little classroom but all over the sure, nation yeah. and the world uh-huh. so I'm sorry I lost the question no, there, that's Matt, okay <laughs> that's okay I and I you know your your story about your college professor starting the day with some stretching and some yoga um, without even calling it that mm-hmm. gets me thinking about for those of us who are teachers in a more traditional classroom what are like little some little tidbits that we could steal to use in class to help students to be more mindful or to be more present in the work that they're doing in our classrooms each day? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using a few tools with the students pretty consistently and hope that they then are applying them in other places. So this is a really great question. Yeah. I think we as educators can be more mindful yeah. of how we help students attend to the um, emotional energy that they bring into the classroom. So one is really simple, just providing time for students to make that transition from the busyness of their day, whatever classes they've had before arriving to our classroom, whatever conversations or noise happen in the hallway, either in person or from social media, um, giving students a minute to sit down and inviting them to take a break by maybe taking a few deep breaths, maybe putting the head down, uh, closing the eyes, just arriving sometimes right. can help students understand how their minds and their bodies are. Um, a more formal experience of that would be something that is called an energy check-in. So if you um, imagine drawing a little uh, quadrant graph, okay. yeah? and on the horizontal axis you have high energy to low energy, okay. and on the vertical axis you have comfort and discomfort. So that as a visual, sometimes just right there, helps a person recognize, oh, I can feel any combination of these things. But if you ask your students then, maybe it takes 90 seconds, check in with how your body is feeling, what do you notice in your feet, your your legs, your torso, your physical body. Is your energy high or low? Is it comfortable or uncomfortable? And then maybe even another layer deeper, how is your mental energy? What is happening for your the speed, the quickness of your thinking, your emotional um, weather. Is that high or low? Is it comfortable or uncomfortable? And do you then sort of give them strategies to deal with where they're at emotionally? Or is that part of the process is them being aware Mm -hmm. and then trying to figure out what works for them in those situations? What you've just hit on is the really important part. It's the awareness. So the graph and maybe asking students to put their dot on the graph for where they are right now helps them understand this is where I am right now, but also conceive of the idea that that is shifting and changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So if I notice, for instance, that my energy is low, but it's really comfortable, I just feel really mellow, then the invitation to the students can be, how about savor that? How about really enjoy that? If you're going to start class with a free rate, for instance, how about 
enjoy in your free write how good it feels to feel like you do right now or translate that into a poem. Yeah. Um, however, if I notice that my energy is really low and it's really uncomfortable, like I'm so tired, then right. I get to be curious, I have the awareness and now I can be curious about it, what has caused this condition for me? And Why am I, I so tired right now? Yeah. And, yeah. and what do I have control over? Can I get more sleep tonight? Uh, do I need a nap this afternoon? Uh, did I eat a whole bunch of sugar and I'm having a sugar crash? Yeah. That awareness and the curiosity about the awareness puts students in a place of power to shift the things within their control. That's fantastic. It's giant. It's so simple. And yeah. So important. That's really, really cool. So um, my sister is also a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. and Love um, that Taylor Brisbane. Uh, yeah, oh, shout out to Taylor she's Brisbane. She's a good one. Um, <clears throat> and when she was being certified, um, you know, there were... So our background is pretty conservative, pretty religious, mm -hmm. right? And so there were concerns raised about, you know, what sorts of religious practices or things like that are coming into play with your yoga. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you ever have parents ask you those types of questions mm -hmm. about your yoga class and, and kind of what your response to them is about that. You bet. Uh, our Lowell McMinnville community is rather diverse when it, it comes to faith traditions. And so making a space for all students to feel um, supported and safe has always been a top priority for me. Yeah. Not just in a yoga classroom, but also from day one in our community. How do, I, how do I meet my community where it is? And then as teachers, we know that we're always asking folks to learn a little bit more about the world around them. So one of the things that's been really helpful is... Uh, conversations I've been privy to because of mindful schools, mm -hmm. which is really sensitive to the idea of secularity and right. the importance of it. Well, and the whole separation of church and state, you know, within the school system. Right. Uh, so what, what has been interesting to me is how beautifully positive psychology and the neuroscience around what we do for our physical bodies, how that impacts our neurological systems, um, helping my students become aware of how what they do and how they think impacts their physical body, their physiology, has been very, it's a very neutral place to meet people and it's also a, a very powerful place to meet because that information gives us almost like a, a manual for how our bodies work, how we impact our bodies. Sure. The yoga definitely comes from um, ancient traditions, and a lot of the, the practices in a yoga class, for instance, at a studio, are, are shine a greater light on that heritage and the traditions of, of yoga. Okay. But in the yoga classroom in a public school, I think it's more appropriate to bring the physical practices with awareness of how that's affecting the body and if that then causes people to be interested about more in the roots of yoga, mm -hmm. then there are definitely teachers who are wiser than I in that area that they would definitely be encouraged to seek out. Yeah, excellent. 
Um, I'd like to shift the focus a little bit, if that's mm -hmm. okay with you. Of course. Um, so you, earlier you mentioned that you are a parent, mm -hmm. and uh, your son I have the pleasure of having in class right now. I um, both you and Mrs. Brisbane as teachers. We're, yeah, we're so lucky to have him. <laughs> uh, I'm curious though, you know, he's a senior in high school, and my own daughter, my oldest, is just in the middle of first grade. And I'm just learning sort of through her experience how the education system here in McMinnville impacts her as a learner. And I'm wondering, after watching your son go through all 12 years, mm -hmm. how his experience has impacted you as an educator as well. Mm -hmm. uh, did you get to grow up in, in the same community all your growing up years? No. I you moved, moved when I was about school. eight, yeah. Yeah. I moved a lot when I was small, and so I didn't. I don't have the experience of being the product of one community, for instance. Yeah. Whereas my son is born and bred in McMinnville, Oregon, was born at the hospital. A lot of the students that are in this graduating class, I've known them and their families from as early as the the baby classes that you have at the hospital course, before your yeah, baby's born. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think that his experience has been fascinating to me because I didn't get to experience it. But from starting at Bear Hooks, the preschool on campus here at McMinnville High, to attending a Memorial Elementary and then Dunaway and now the high school, all of the opportunities that uh, families can access for their kids from swim lessons to soccer to Little League to um, the, the theater and music programs that are available all of these have contributed to what my son knows about the world. And there are so many, so many teachers in our district who are also community members and family, have families here. I think there's this really beautiful fabric mm -hmm. that uh, supports students to be themselves and to find out what's exciting to them, but also creates this sense of being held in some ways, I think our little town is such an idyllic place to grow up that I worry when he steps outside, he'll think to himself, wait a second. I think that's a, that's a fair <laughs> worry for all parents at some point. Yeah. So, but as a, as a teacher, knowing that all of those students in your classes are someone's kid. Oh my goodness. Right now. So how has that shaped your instruction or your, maybe just, just your perspective on the job that you do? Mm -hmm. You know, Matt, that is exactly one of the first awarenesses I had as a new mom. Um, actually, the first awareness that I had, and maybe all of us go through this, when we hold our tiny babies, we realize, oh my goodness, someone held us like this as well. Um, that was masterful in transforming the relationships I had with my sure, parents yeah. <laughs> right off the bit. But, but also, yeah, coming back into the classroom as, an, as a new parent, I had a fresh eyes for who these humans were in my room. And as I've been able to teach as Zane has been growing, I've noticed that I have a greater fascination for the learning process. Like, oh my goodness, this is what it looks like when a person learns how to read. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like when they get excited about you know, math that they were f able to figure out. Or, gosh, it's been a long time since I've been in middle school. It's, I've never experienced life as a middle school boy. <laughs> so being able to be a witness to that experience has taught me so much about human development yeah. and learning. 
So, for instance, I when I was a middle school girl, I thought middle school boys were so sophisticated and cool. Like, it's oh not my, very true. Oh, my goodness. It's, and it's not true. No, not like living with a, a 12-year-old taught me a lot. <laughs> um, but that also has made it important in, um, in my classroom. When I, when I first started teaching, my students were only four or five years younger than I was. Yeah. And I've noticed that as I've been a parent to a high school student, I have a different relationship with my students. Um, I used to be not a peer because we have that distinction of teacher and student, sure. but really aware of the pop culture that was happening and I knew all the in mm-hmm. things that kids were up to when I was first teaching. And then somewhere in there when Zane was about 10, I started feeling more motherly toward my students, Yeah. Um, more aware of their emotional development and how this student might be really frustrating in class right now, but if I was this kid's mom, how would I approach this challenge? And that looks a lot different than my 23-year-old self. Of course. Uh, there's a much greater sensitivity, and which is not to say that you have to be a parent to be a sensitive teacher. That's not true at all. Some of my um, most amazing teachers have never been parents. Sure. But I would say that uh, I have a greater tenderness. It sort of becomes your default as a parent to think of things through the parent lens it really as a does. teacher. Yeah. And I've been saying to my students most recently how um, precious they are, and not precious like cute. I'm I'm meaning like rare, precious. Protect this person. There's I'm realizing how much hope I have for my child and his success in the future, and how any little ridiculous choice, like an innocent teenage choice could throw a huge wrench into um, possibilities for him in the future. Yeah. And I hadn't ever seen that before. In the past, as a, a younger teacher, my 15-year-olds, I was feeling like, and in fact, I said in, t- in the hallway many a time to a student who needed some extra attention, how old are you right now? And he'd say, yeah, 15. Of course. And I'd say, how many years until you are a legal adult? And he'd say, 18, you know, three years. And I would say, okay, so you got to start being on top of this. You need to follow through on what you say you're going to do and meet your deadlines and come to school on time and be here. Like you're going to be an adult in a matter of minutes. Sure. And now I realize how um, my 18 year old students, 17 year old students, um, they are, they may be numerically almost eight, 18. They may almost be adults, but they are still young people just like all of us realize we are inside yeah I, I I had this realization when I went to you know when you're when you're growing up you look at high schoolers as like the coolest like they've got mm-hmm. it all figured out super mature and then you get to high school and you realize it was just this sham like you <laughs> you have nothing figured out and you're just still this innocent kid trying to figure out the world and you you think you're going to figure it out when you go to college and then you get to college and it's still not true. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like now that I'm, you know, as a, as a 35 year old teacher, sometimes I feel like I'm tricking the world a little bit. <laughs> like, like who am I to be able to, you know, to teach these kids? Um, and it just kind of sneaks up on you, I suppose, the mm-hmm. experience. And you never really feel like you've got it all together. Or you never really feel like you got it all figured out. But. Oh, that's so true. But that comes back to the idea of how important for how important it is for us as teachers to always be students and to remember our humanity as as people coming through all these stages that sure. our students are just beginning. So on that note, 
uh, as teachers who should try to be students all of the time, um, for you, looking back on your career, um, what do you feel like has been the biggest influence on who you have become as a teacher? Like if you were to kind of um, look at where you are now and look back through the years, is there a person that was a super influential mentor for you or maybe two or three people? Was there, you know, a, a book or an author that has inspired you or um, who or what might that sort of big influence be? on who you've become now as a teacher? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I love about teaching is that no day is the same, no year is the same, no class is the same. I'm teaching six of the same, essentially the same yoga class, but yeah. none of them are exactly the same. So one of the things I appreciate about being an educator is that there's so much um, opportunity to keep learning and growing. Mm -hmm. And there's I like how that makes me uh, stay on a learning curve that is rather steep. Yes. During the time that I've been teaching, we've had lots of waves of um, educational agendas. Sure. You know, first, it's the it's certificate of in initial mastery, and yeah. then you know any any number of things, alphabet soup acronyms that we have for yes. what we do and how yes. we do it. Uh, but I would say that one of my biggest influences was actually my grad school mentor, uh, Dr. Karen Hanlon. Uh, she just showed up in our lives in the teacher ed program as a champion for us, yeah. always uh, pointing out the things that we were doing that were really strengths and then always challenging us to find our edge, like how can we keep developing. Her model for that and then also that she was um, a woman, she was the first woman I'd met who had her doctorate and that was influential to yeah, me too. It showed me a, a horizon of what was possible for educators, female educators. Um, and then, you know, she's shown up in my life many times. She invited me to become a part of the Oregon Writing Project a uh -huh. few years ago, um, invited me to then become a part of the teaching team at the Oregon Writing Project. These are things I never would have thought I could do, but she gave me permission with her invitation. And then I talked with her over the summer trying to ask this question of, should I pursue more education? And her question, her response was, yes. Of course, yeah. <laughs> do it. So Karen's been huge in uh, just my professional life and helping to encourage. And, you know, she, she actually suggested to me that one of the most powerful things we can do as educators is shine a light on possibilities for our learners. Yeah. She said those words, and then I reflected and recognized, oh, dang, she's been doing that for That's me all the way doing, through. Yeah. And uh, so I, I work to do that for my students, too. Uh, as far as books, um, Parker Palmer yeah. is amazing, The Courage to Teach. And then this summer I was introduced to uh, the, the Center for the, oops, uh, the name of it, the acronym is tough for me, but it, mm, it's there at Berkeley, and it's the Center for the Greater Good. Okay. Science Center for the Greater Good. They are a clearinghouse of all of the research about uh, positive psychology uh, showing up in pro-social behaviors for education, but then also just for humans. Yeah. How can we live well and live to our purpose and contribute to what is good in the world? Their resources and connecting with them has been 
really influential for me too. Awesome. So um, one of your many roles has been to be sort of a mentor teacher for new teachers coming into the district. Mm -hmm. So you have literally uh, put this next question sort of into practice. Usually it's a sneaker question for some of my guests, but um, if you had a brand new teacher coming in, um, what's, what's the most important piece of advice that you could give them about this profession? moving forward that you think it's a little nugget that'll just kind of keep them going? Mm. Actually, Matt, it's new teachers that I'm most excited about right now. Yeah. I think if I do get to go back to school and pursue my, I'm going to change my wording, when I go back to school okay. to pursue my doctorate, I really hope to work in teacher tra training programs, partly because I think new teachers are, uh, oh my goodness, they are so strong and hopeful and can make this huge impact and then our system of how schools work sometimes uh, scrinch and burn them out yes absolutely so I think that one thing that I would suggest to new teachers that I'm working with is to practice wellness and I know that sounds a little bit like of course the yoga teacher can <laughs> yeah. say that but it's so important in this in this work as educators where we are giving uh, everything that we have because we want to and because it's needed, we must, as educators, all of us, take care of our resources. Yeah. So, so, so what's, what are some practical tips? Like what does being focused around wellness look like for mm -hmm. a teacher? That idea of, um, I don't want to say work-life balance, I want to say work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. There are times in our lives when we actually do have more time to give to our work and it's really fulfilling. And then there are times, like I learned as a new parent, where I wasn't able to give as much to my work life because my priority became my family life. Yeah. You know, So I think there's a conversation to be had like honestly with ourselves, recognize what are our priorities and how can we develop ourselves in that realm of our priorities and still uh, recognize how important it is to get sleep and yes. to eat well and to hydrate and to connect with our friends and our families because all of those things keep our physical and our emotional bodies going. Uh, it isn't selfish to create boundaries and it's actually really vital. You mean we shouldn't grade every weekend, all weekend? Oh, gosh. Uh, maybe I'm not the person to ask about <laughs> yeah, grading, no. Matt. But, uh, you know, well, think about it. Like those days when language arts <coughs> teachers or um, people who are working with curriculum that requires critical thought in assessment, when, when we don't keep a schedule for ourselves, our thinking about the grading we haven't done becomes a constant heavy companion. Of course, yeah. And that's not very healthy. No. So how do how do we ask get curious about how we feel in regard to that and then shift what is within our control? I have been asking our superintendent forever and ever and ever to please, like, could we please just have smaller class sizes for language <laughs> arts teachers? Because I know... Just a few less papers per staff. Right. I know the feedback I would give would be so much more valuable if I had fewer essays yeah. to score. Um, but in the absence of that, then the responsibility comes to us as teachers, and particularly as new teachers, recognizing it's okay to set a limit. It's important to hold your limits. It's important to check in with how your ex pre-existing limits work for you and change them. Give yourself permission to 
change them when you need to and ask for help when yeah. you need to. Well, I think that's one of the first ways that brand new teachers will burn themselves out is just thinking that the expectation is that they have to get all of this stuff done all mm -hmm. of the time as, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And so they, they use up all of their extra spare time in life to finish the work that they have to do for school and that's just not sustainable if they're just working all of the time yeah, without true. coming up for a breath. There's some brain science about um, noticing what when we notice the good stuff, if we actually take the time to savor it, the brain uh, wires that pathway of noticing and then we become more aware. The reason I mention this in relation to new teachers is that we really do, as new teachers, have a single-minded focus. We feel, I must get this done, and there's the pressure of my students and their parents and my administrators and my contract being renewed. Um, there are all these new, new facets of life in a school community to learn when you're brand new to this school community. Yeah. So there's so much focus on the stuff we have to do. Sometimes we fail to notice the things that are really good in the experiences, even if the experience is hard. Yeah. So I think that one of the practices that we can do to help sustain ourselves at any time, but especially as new teachers, is to purposefully take note of what is feeding us, whether it's that communication with the student in the hall where you get to experience that breakthrough with them, or how good it feels to finish that stack of essays, sure. or how awesome it is that when you stopped into that other teacher's classroom just to say good morning, you had an exchange that was unexpected that changed the rest of your day, yeah. or even how you're going to teach your lesson. Um, being open to and then noticing and appreciating those exchanges is a really powerful way. To make a lot of difference, absolutely. So just a couple more questions and then we can be done. Um, I don't want to take up all of your time here, but um, I think it's a popular opinion of people who are not in education uh, to think they sort of know what happens in, in a school system because they went through the school system at some point, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'll hear uh, things in conversation like, oh, maybe when I retire, I'll become a teacher. Like, it's like this just nice and easy, like, lavish <laughs> thing. Uh -huh. And so, um, for those people who are listening, what do you feel like is kind of that reality check as a teacher? What is What is the most challenging piece that most people are unaware of? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that comes up for me in response to that question is that probably most folks in most careers have an, an intimate understanding of the demands of the, the roles they fill, yeah. whereas those of us who observe don't see all the it, work. Of course, yeah. A friend of mine from Oregon Association of Student Councils, Nikki Pierce, used to say she used the swan philosophy, so look like a swan on top, even if you're paddling like hell under the surface <laughs> yeah. of the water. And I think that's um, maybe what folks on the outside of education can see about educators. The paddling under the water part is uh, really about always, always keeping ourselves sharp with uh, what teaching and learning is all about. Yeah. So I think that we're always um, engaged in professional development. I, it is impossible for me to read an essay without thinking, oh, I could use this in my class. And I read for pleasure all the time, and yeah. so that means I am always also looking for material for classes. Of course. As a writer, as a teacher, teacher of writer, it's the same thing. I'm collecting information about writers, I'm asking questions, um, I'm writing myself. So I think there's this, there's, the, there's this ongoing 
self-development. And then one of the things I'm really grateful for about in education is the way that psychology is helping us understand teaching and learning for different developmental age groups. Um, That is keeping me working all the time because the science it has this amazing large growing edge where there's always something new to learn yeah. and apply and it works you know? I think I think that's a real misconception about teachers is um, it's it's a field that is like you said is constantly growing and there's all of this new research that keeps coming out mm-hmm. and I think a lot of teachers are continually reading this new research in order to become better teachers oh, yeah. and most people don't understand that that's a thing in our profession like many other professions that are out there you know we need yeah. to stay up to date with the 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 latest science and the latest trends and things like that oh certainly but but, th- but we also have to teach lessons on top of that right you know and you have one shot with the students in your classroom you get them for only that period of time whether it's a semester or a year yeah. you want it to be powerful meaningful um, helpful for them I always want to trans like transition tools of empowerment to my students so if I have that only one shot and I want to do it the best that I can and there's this ever-evolving field of ways to do that how do I choose the ones that I can deliver authentically that my students can use practically now yes it's almost an impossible <laughs> like problem all the time right but one of the things that I really appreciate about um, teachers like yourself Matt who has been inspiring me since the day you started um, the work that you're doing right now in your classes with um, grading that isn't grading like the non-grading yeah, right, assessment right, right. Um, but and then the way that you're working with technology the way all teachers have had to learn how to use technology in our classrooms um, I think that kind of energy the teachers who are really looking for ways to continue honing their practice are creating this contagious energy mm-hmm. for coworkers. Yeah, absolutely uh, when I hear that someone has just learned to use um, interactive journaling for instance it's an older technique but gosh when I see my neighbor making it new and fresh again I think to myself oh I'm gonna do that that. yeah Yeah. so I there's that part too there's all this stuff that we're learning and let's say in a high school each of us come as specialists yeah Uh, similarly as learners the teachers as learners have areas that we are super excited about learning Uh, so if we then have those conversations with one another, I don't have to be an expert on um, alternative grading if I get to talk to you and hear sure. what you've learned. So there's this uh, informal professional development that we can definitely do in person, or <coughs> I know that you've been really involved in Twitter professional development. That's, that's That just changes the whole game. It does, and I think we actually work at a school that is... Uh, really great at um, promoting that um, collaboration between staff members. Um, lets us get into other people's classrooms to see other people do the work, and I, I don't think that is necessarily a common thing around around the country. So, but I agree, it's really helped uh, me grow as a teacher, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the really cool things about our school. Thank you. Uh, the flip side, that was the hardest part. Okay. What, what's the best part? about being a teacher? Uh, uh, one of my girlfriends, her son is graduating from high school. He's considering a career in education. And yeah. she asked me that same question. 
because she hears too from people who say, oh, geez, don't let your kid become a teacher. <laughs> yeah. And my eyes got big. I thought, oh, really? I mean, we all do it for the fame and the money, right? Uh, pretty much. I mean, so. I'm feeling pretty famous and yeah. healthy right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the thing, what I can, what I can say about uh, being an educator that has surprised me, uh, the relationships that have begun in the classroom and then continued for years and years in the community. I'm thinking of people that I got to know when they were 13. Yes. Our coworker Susie Sales came into leadership program when she was 13. I got to be her teacher while she was in high school and get to know her. And by virtue of classes like leadership, there's a lot of um, small group work and projects that we're putting on for the students, for the student body. And so get to know one another through both thick and thin times, like both stressful and celebratory times. My goodness, Susie and the crew of students I got to be an advisor for leadership too. I love these humans. Yes. Partly because I got to see glimpses of their gifts and their power. And now um, my the person I see as my attorney is one of my former leadership students. So is my investment person, my favorite winemakers, business owners downtown. We it, just elected. It, it's almost like you have this group of students that you have some influence over that then become a part of the community. And you have this as a teacher, you have this like really incredible influence on the community that you're a part of over time. Sure. Yeah. And when I started out, I thought it was all a one-way give, like yes. I'm influencing my students. And then I began to recognize, oh my goodness, these amazing humans have gone out into the world, learned so much more, and then brought it back to our community. And now I am benefiting from their awesomeness, like they're influencing me with the buildings they make or the decisions they make in our local government or a newspaper. Yeah. I just, I, I am grateful that getting to be in this career long enough um, as a human has allowed me to get to a place of greater reflection and appreciation for the time that started in the classroom yeah. when they were teenagers. I don't, I don't know if that all makes sense now. Absolutely. But I think does. that's my favorite part yeah. is the relationships. Okay, final question. Mm-hmm. We talked about growth mindset and how important that is in education, yep. both as a student and as a teacher. So for you, how are you a better teacher right now than you were two months ago when we started the year in September? Mm-hmm. Uh, partly it comes back to that, the same concept of the energy check-in. Um, noticing how am I showing up in my classroom as a teacher? How does it feel? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't feel awesome, what is within my power to shift it? Um, that, and then also complementing that with recognizing how much am I pushing my edge. Um, We can get really comfortable in our classrooms, and unless we work to find the edge of the comfort zone and lean gently against it, we miss out on the joy of accessing our potential as teachers, as humans. So in contrast to two uh, months ago, I would say I've definitely leaned up against my understanding of the positive psychology and neuroscience, not just for mindfulness, but for teaching and learning. Also, something that's outside my comfort zone is networking with um, teachers outside of our school community. Our school, yeah. So reaching out to other educators. There's a part of me that feels protective of what we're doing with yoga and mindfulness in our high school. Like, it's rare and special, and I want to be known for this. 
But then there's a recognition of how important and impactful this awareness can be and how I need to help build capacity. Spread the influence. For educators, for students, for communities. Um, so that that's what I'm pressing up against right now and how I feel like that's, awesome. that's my learning edge as a teacher this year. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, not only are you flexible, but you're very wise as well. So <laughs> I appreciate, uh, appreciate you being a guest and, and giving up some of your time today. Thank you, Matt. I would like to uh, express great gratitude for your invitation, but also that you're doing this as a service for all of us. Yeah. Thank you for helping the conversation grow. It's definitely a passion project of mine, so I appreciate that. The passion projects are the best kind. They are, absolutely. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, you've been listening to MacTown Heroes. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about all the wisdom behind the instruction happening inside our very own yoga studio here at MHS. I know something that I'll be taking away from the interview is a greater awareness of how important mindfulness can be, not just for our students, but as teachers as well. I also have a better appreciation of the value of teaching in a community like ours and how cool it is that we as educators get to shape what it can become over time. As always, my hope is that through this podcast, we all get to know a little more about the hard work that is necessary to being an educator in America, and more specifically, the amazing educators that we have here at McMinnville High School. If you enjoyed this and any of the other episodes in this podcast, please don't hesitate to share those with the people who you feel would appreciate them. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.